And he wasn't just in a recliner, he was stretched out in the recliner and he was asleep. And I said, y'all don't have goofy dreams like that. But I said, and when I saw it, I said, folks don't pay any attention to Bishop Wilson. He's got a busy week coming up this week. We'll just let him sleep while I preach. And so about in my mind, in the, in, in the message as I was preaching, I was about 15 minutes into what was obviously a major train wreck. And I happened to look up and there was nobody in the house. Everybody had walked out on me. So folks, I am so glad God never used me in dreams because I would be sincerely worried here tonight. Amen. And I told someone, I said, you know, I said, uh, it's one thing to preach to the choir. It's a whole other thing to preach to the choir directors. And uh, that's kind of where I am here tonight. But I do want to obey the Holy Ghost. I do feel like God has burdened my heart. I have only addressed this verse one other time in my ministry, and that was about a little over a year ago at four o'clock in the morning in uh, the country of the Philippines. The Lord woke me up with this scripture and gave me a message. And I preached it in the Philippines, and I have not preached it in North America, but when Bishop Wilson called me uh, within just hours after the call, I felt like this would be the direction that we would go tonight. So go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 38, and verse number one. One verse of scripture only, Isaiah 38 and one. He said, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. I want to preach tonight on this thought, nothing left to do but die. Praise God. Nothing left to do but die. Would you lift your voice one more time? Give God worship and praise as we enter into the word here tonight. Come on, let's lift our voice, church. Everybody. Everybody, lift your voice. God, we need your touch here tonight. Our confidence is in you. Our trust is in you. We need the help of your spirit tonight. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Once again, clap your hands and give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. I give you honor and glory tonight. I praise you. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We understand by the word of the Lord that Hezekiah's father was King Ahaz. And without going into great detail tonight, in fact, any detail, because I don't think it's necessary uh, in this crowd, but Ahaz, as we know, was one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel's history. I don't know that there would be one that would be greater as far as wickedness than what Ahaz was. But while his father was wicked, it seems very clear that 
uh, Hezekiah had other influences in his life that affected him toward God. It is believed that his mother and their family was associated with the priesthood. Uh, whether that be true or not, we have no doubt that there were influences in his life that caused Hezekiah to desire a restoration of true worship to Jehovah God in Israel. We do know that he was influenced by Isaiah the prophet as well as the prophets of Micah and Hosea. And so it is that I see a man that while his father uh, did not uh, walk the ways of truth and did not embrace the things of God but embraced idolatry, there was a son that was affected and impacted by others that caused him to have a hunger in his heart for God and the things of God. I think it's important tonight for us as the apostolic movement that we never write a man off because his father was not right. We never write a generation off because that they might have been raised by other influences and had things put into them that was not right. I am convinced tonight that a hungry heart with the right kind of influence can be turned toward righteousness and toward holiness. Hallelujah. I am witnessing across America, across North America, and I don't want to sound boastful tonight, but in the past four years, God has privileged us to preach in 112 different pulpits uh, here and abroad. And I don't have a horror story tonight. I don't stand here with a bad report, but I can tell you all across this land, there are young men that are rising up with a hunger in their heart for revival, for restoration, for holiness, for separation from the world. They want the reality of what God has done for others to be true in their own life. Amen. And I am even witnessing those that their fathers have may not follow them the, the, the walk of holiness and righteousness as, as closely as they ought to have had. I see these young men, and I have witnessed it even this year, that I have seen them in the altars with tears flowing down their face for hours at a time praying, God, I want the reality of what it is that you have done for the church throughout time. I want it real in my own life. So I don't have a horror story tonight. I'm telling you there's a generation that God is raising up. There are men that God has placed his hand upon and they're coming out of the backwoods. They're coming out of idolatry. They're coming out of all kinds of influences and they're taking a stand for what they know to be right by the word of God. And you and I ought to be happy tonight that God has not left the future in the hands of those that are not hungry for him. Somebody clap your hands and praise him. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Second Chronicles 29 and 3 said of Hezekiah that in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. He determined that if we are going to have restoration, then we better open the doors to the house of God. And I know we're hearing a lot of preaching of this lately, but I have come to affirm it one more time that this is not some exclusive closed door society. The Lord has not chosen to merely fill Native Americans with the Holy Ghost, but I'm telling you all across our nation, in every area, we're seeing every ethnicity that God is beginning to move in. God is beginning to deal with. And there's a revival that is beginning to take place in every race, in every nation, in every ethnicity. God is stirring up some hearts. Woo, hallelujah. And I'll just go and say it tonight. If you struggle with racism, you've got a problem. Where the church is concerned, this is not a church with a closed door to any color, to any race. Hallelujah. Thank God for pastors that have opened the door to their church. My, 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 hallelujah. That we don't care what their economic status is. We don't care what their racial position is. We don't care where they've come from. The door is open. I hope you'll let me preach here tonight what I feel in the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's not an exclusive club for elite members. It's a hospital for sick folks. Hallelujah. I said this is a hospital for sick folks. It's not a place where we have an elite club, where we have, amen, an elite group of people that everybody, amen, looks exactly alike. Thank God that there's those among us Somebody said recently, it's not a sin to struggle. You better believe, friend, it's not a sin to struggle. The sin is to give up. We don't need anybody giving up. Come on, struggle your way. Fight your way. Whatever you've got to do, make up in your mind. I'm not staying where I am. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't want to be misunderstood and I don't have time tonight to qualify what I'm saying. I don't have time to qualify what I feel tonight in the Holy Ghost. No one is going, amen, to stand as a stronger proponent of holiness and separation and preaching up the unadulterated word of God any more than what I do, any more than the position that I take. And I don't say that boastfully, but don't ever forget that when Moses came off the, off the mountain and he had tablets under one arm, he had the plans for a house of redemption under the other arm. You gotta believe tonight that we're not just a church of law. We're not just a church of standards and guidelines and regulations but we're a church that has the plan for redemption hallelujah 
He knows how to break the yokes. He knows how to destroy the chains. Hallelujah. We've got to maintain the balance of grace and truth in our message. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus looked at the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery and when all others had left and he said, woman, where are thine accusers? He, she said, Lord, no man. Everybody's left. He said, neither do I condemn you, but go your way and sin no more. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Grace said, neither do I condemn you. But truth said, go your way and sin no more. He was more interested in the future of her life than he was in the past of her life. And when you and I get interested in the future of people's soul, the future of their walk with God, and we can give up some of the stuff from the past, Amen. Amen. When you go to the pulpit, take the law. But you need to have a plan under the other arm. That lets folks know we, we do know how you can get help. Hallelujah. We do know how you can be saved. We do know what God can do in your life. And so what we note about Hezekiah is that he brought back after that he opened the doors to the house of God. He brought back the priest and he commanded them to first sanctify themselves and then to cleanse the house of the Lord of all filthiness. The reality is, brethren, that cleaning up Amen. Or the cleansing has to begin in the pulpit first. Hallelujah. Before we can cleanse the house, there's got to be a cleansing of the pulpit. Before we can attack the pollution that's in the pews, then we would do well to ensure that we have cleansed the man behind the pulpit. Hallelujah. Well, I feel Holy Ghost in this house tonight. You see, what are you talking about? Brethren, hear me tonight. We need deliverance. We need deliverance from our bitterness. We need deliverance from anger. We need deliverance from separation. We need deliverance from those things that keep us separated from one another. Praise the Lord. Amen. We need deliverance from bitterness. Hallelujah. Brethren, we can contend without being contentious. We can disagree without being disagreeable. We can take a different position without making it a personal issue between you and your brother. Hallelujah. You might disagree on principle, but you need to maintain an attitude. Help me, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on now. Let me just preach here tonight. I've got to obey the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, we need God to help us. I said we need God to help us. We don't need to enter into a worship service. We don't need to enter into a conference service with feelings. Amen. Of contention and separation and division. But we need to walk in here recognizing that in this service that there are needs that God wants to work out, that God wants to make a difference in. 
Amen. Second Chronicles 29 and 16 said that the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. Amen. They didn't put paint on the front of the building. They went inside to the house of the inner part to cleanse it. And they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. And then in verse 19 it said, Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified. And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. So what happened in Hezekiah's restoration and what happened in the time of his revival is number one, the priest took everything out of the house that wasn't supposed to be in the house. And they put everything back in the house that was supposed to be in the house. And I've got to tell you today, there's still some things that don't belong in the house of God. There's still some things that doesn't belong among us. If we call ourselves holiness and we call ourselves righteous, if we still believe believe in separation from the world. I gotta tell you, Hollywood doesn't have a place in the house. You hear me, I said Hollywood doesn't have a place in the house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Competitive sports has no place in the house of God. I don't know how you feel, but I want to get everything out. I want to get it out that doesn't belong there because I want restoration. I want restoration. I want a Holy Ghost outbreak. Praise the Lord. There's just some things that don't belong in the house. There's some attitudes that don't belong in the house. There's some spirits that don't belong in the house. Praise the Lord. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Some of this stuff on the internet just don't belong in the house. I am preaching to an apostolic conference, am I not? Hallelujah. Immodest apparel still doesn't belong in the house. The worldly fashions of our day still don't belong in the house. Woo, hallelujah. There's some things that God wants to get rid of and I'm persuaded that the more we purge ourselves of those things that do not belong among us, the greater measure of restoration and the glory and the power that we're gonna experience in this last day. Hallelujah. Amen. I could go down the clothesline tonight. I could go down, amen, all the list of things. I, I am not going to take time to do that tonight. You understand what I'm getting at. We've got to get rid of that. That doesn't belong in the house. But that's not enough. We cannot become and be merely only a church that has cleansed ourselves. That we're nothing more than a house that has been swept 
and garnished and clean. But we've got to have something in the house. And there's got to be prayer back in the house. There's got to be true worship back in the house. Hallelujah. We've got to have unity in the house. If there's anything we got to have, we got to have unity in the house. Now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together. They were all what? Together with one accord in one place. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost came in the beginning because there was a crowd that when they got together, they were together. And the Holy Ghost fell. Somebody say amen. We have many today that confuse uniformity with unity. They think because that they have uniformity among them, that they have unity. That is not the case. Unity and uniformity is two different things. Uniformity is what is basically governed by externals, but unity is governed by what is on the inside. It's what you have in your heart towards your brother. It's what you have in your heart towards your sister, but it's not enough to have it toward your brother, your sister. You gotta have a spirit of unity with the word, and you've gotta have that unity with your God. And when we start getting all of these things together, there can be nothing less than a dynamic outpouring of the Holy Ghost, where chains are broken, where people are healed, where the miraculous takes place. He restored the altar. He restored the offering of sacrifices. He restored true worship of Jehovah God. Amen. He restored the purity of their relationship with God. And so the cleansing of the house and the restoring of the altar of sacrifice and true worship to God, they are true components of apostolic restoration. They are key components to what must happen among us when we have prayer and we have preaching and we have true worship. We can expect, I said we can't expect God to show up. We can't expect God to do the miraculous among us. And so in 29 and 35, he said the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people and God that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. And then in chapter 30, 25 and 26, he said all the congregation of Judah with the priests and the Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel and that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. And so there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon the son of David king of Israel there was not the like in Jerusalem that sounds like revival to me that sounds like restoration to me that the measure of joy was greater than it had ever been heard since the time of David and Solomon years had passed I'm going to 
tell you, I've been raised in this. I was almost born on a church pew. I know what it is to see revival. I know what it is to have to have people taken out of the service, drunk on the Holy Ghost. They could not walk on their own. I've seen the mighty outpouring of God's divine presence. And I gotta tell you that I am confident that we have not yet seen our greatest revival. And we have not yet seen our greatest manifestations of God. Amen. There'll be an outbreak of joy like we've never seen before. He withstood the enemies of Israel. He took a letter from a king who was threatening the destruction of Israel. He took it to the house of God and he laid it out before the Lord. Do you know why he was able to take the letter of threat to the house of God and lay it out before the Lord? There was a time that he was opening the door for everybody else, but the day came when he needed the house open. The day came when the doors that he had opened served the purpose that he needed in his own life. When he was desperate as a king to see a battle fought and won for the people of God's sake, he had opened that door. Brethren, hear me tonight. Hallelujah. This open door business does not just serve the people. It does not serve just to serve the lost, but it will serve us in the hours of trial, in the hours when the enemy is putting the pressure on us. We can come to the same house that we have opened the door and the same God that we made accessible to everybody else in the world becomes accessible to us. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. I lost my glasses. Hallelujah. Where'd I put them at? Amen. Right on top. Somebody help me out here. Somebody say praise the Lord. Here they are. They hid from me. I think my glasses are getting tired already. My glasses left the house. <laughs> Hallelujah. And here's what it finally said about Hezekiah. It said he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. What a man. What a revivalist. What an individual that God in his word recorded. He so trusted in God. He so believed his God that there was nobody like him among all the kings of Israel nor uh, that, that, were, that ever came after him. Yet the Bible said that God sent a word to him by the prophet and that word was simply set your house in order indicating very simply that there were some things that were not yet done. Amen. He was going to die, but he was not ready to die. What I am convinced that God was saying to Hezekiah was, I want everything in your life to be so complete and so totally done that there is nothing left for you to do but die. You need to set your house in order. There's some things that are undone. There's
there's some things that you've not yet finished with and I need you to go to work on these things because you are going to die but you're not ready to die hallelujah I am convinced tonight and this is my persuasion that this ought to be the mantra of every apostolic preacher that graces the pulpit to live and to labor in such a manner that there is nothing left to do but die. Amen. Now that doesn't mean that we might not leave behind some unfinished projects. Amen. But what it really means is that we so position our ministry and we so convey our vision and we convey our burden in such a manner that upon our departure, that the work that we have set in order, that God has helped us with, will move right on unabated and unhindered through the efforts of preparation that we made. Are you hearing me here tonight? That God needs to help us, that we decide here and now that there's some things we can't leave undone. There's some things that we cannot leave unfinished. We've got to set some things in order. Now I confess that I am not sure of all that God had in mind where Hezekiah was concerned, setting his house in order. But there's one thing that does stand out to me, and that is when God sent that to him by prophecy. It appears at that time that Hezekiah had no successor. He had nobody to follow in his footsteps. There was no one to pass the revival on to that he had brought to Israel. And God knew that in order for Hezekiah, amen, all that Hezekiah had done to be sustained, then it was necessary to get the next generation ready. It was necessary to get the next generation prepared to be able to carry on the revival. I told my son this a few days ago while on the phone. I said, this thing is not self-sustaining. You don't build it into revival and it just kind of moves on of its own accord. No more than a fire continues to burn when no wood is being thrown upon it. You gotta feed the fire if you wanna keep the fire burning. And God has done something in the apostolic movement in the past number of years that if we want to sustain it we got to get the next generation moving in the direction of embracing this glorious truth Judges 2 and 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the works, the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Joshua died, verse 8, verse 9, they buried him, verse 10, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. I confess to you tonight that burning down in my spirit from a young age has been the desire to ensure that the next generation experiences what I experienced when I was baptized in Jesus' name at six years old, when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost in a youth camp at 12 years old, when I felt the first, oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me just say to some of you, 
highfalutin Pentecostals out there that you got this idea we don't need any of this shouting anymore. We don't need this dancing anymore. We don't need this demonstrative worship anymore. Let me just talk to you a little bit. I said, let me talk to you a little bit. Amen. Your problem is not that you, your, your problem is your pride. That's your problem. You just got pride. Hallelujah. At 12 years old, I was standing in front of the front pew during altar service at a youth camp. And as I lifted my hands, praying for the Holy Ghost, something hit me from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. I had no control over my faculties. I had no control over my body. Amen. In just a little bit, when I came to my senses, I was all the way across the building in the middle of the drum set talking in tongues as the Holy Ghost gave the utterance. I've come to tell you, I didn't just jump that night. The Holy Ghost came. The Holy Ghost touched. Come on. We got too much Pentecostal prancing going on. We need some Holy Ghost touch. We need some folks that know how to let the Holy Ghost move on them. worship we need true worship worship that glorifies the king of kings and the lord of lords hallelujah come on now at the end of a revival service when I was a kid we counted the bobby pins on the floor we hallelujah that's how we knew we had great church Hallelujah. Amen. I was born. I was there. I was raised in it. I knew it from a child. Amen. And when I was, as a young pastor uh, in, 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 in Ocala, I remember one night I was in the prayer room praying. And, and it was dark. We had no light on in there. Just had the door just barely cracked. Where there was just a little bit of light coming in. And, and, and I remember praying, God, why do I keep praying for revival? Why do I keep contending for revival? And, and about that time, the door opened and the whole light, that shaft of light fell on the silver hair of an elder gentleman that was shuffling his way into the prayer room that had had the Holy Ghost for over 50 years. And when I saw him, I said, God, that's why that I'm contending for revival because the last thing I want is that generation to die and go to the glory world and say, it wasn't what it was. It wasn't what it used to be. Amen. And a few minutes later, the door opened again and that same shaft of light caught the reflection of my 16-year-old son that was walking in the door. And I said, God, that's the other reason why, that I'm contending, I'm contending. We've got to have a move of the Holy Ghost. 
I don't want the next generation to be raised up among fancy Pentecost. I want them raised up where they know what it is to fall out in the Holy Ghost, where they know what it is to get baptized, to get anointed, to get drunk on the Spirit. I was trying to stay dignified, but I can't. Hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. I want my grandbabies to know what it is to feel the power of God. I want my grandbabies to talk in tongues at a young age. I don't want my grandbabies to come to me and say, Granddaddy, tell me what it used to be like. Tell me those stories. I want them coming to me saying, Hey, people, let me tell you what happened in church last night. Let me tell you what God did for us. Let me tell you the revival we're having. him hallelujah hallelujah Michael Saul's daughter had the same attitude she had the attitude that kind of worship is not necessary. David, you need to put your king's robes back on. You need to put your crown back on. You need to pick up the golden scepter again. Yeah, hallelujah. She said, look at the king who was down there. He had the common garments of a, the linen garments of a worshiper on him. He had somebody, he was down there among the common folks. And when she said that to him, he said, woman, let me tell you something. She, he said, it was before the Lord that I was chosen to be the king of Israel. You know what he was saying to her? He was saying, lady, before I was a king, I was a worshiper. Before I was a king, I was a praiser. And I might be a king now, but I'm still a worshiper. I'm still a worshiper. I'm still a worshiper. said that she was bare until she died. She had no children. Let me tell you what happens to you when you pick apart worship. When you pick apart Holy Ghost outpouring, you get bared in your spirit. You become unproductive in the Holy Ghost. You get, my, 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 hallelujah. You think it can all be done through intellectualism. You think it all can be done through rote and by memorization. No, no, no. We've got to have the unadulterated Power of God. 
got to have the power. We got to have the glory. We've got to let the next generation know it's for you also. Come on now. Before I was a preacher, I was a tongue talker. Before I was a pastor, I was a worshiper. Don't make me stop now. to know the works of God. I want them to see the blinded eyes open. I was about five years old. Whenever we had a service one night, I, I, I don't really know what age I was, four, five, or six. It just, it's a faint memory, but it was a, it's a clear memory in my mind. And I'm standing behind the altar rail. The pulpit is here. I'm just a little lad. I'm looking over the altar. I hear my father in the pulpit say to a mother that's holding her baby in the altar, say, Mama, your baby has died. Amen. The baby was black and blue. It was no longer breathing. Amen. Your baby's gone. It was not a good situation. But I watched my father as he walked around and laid his hands on that baby. And it wasn't but a few moments. The lungs began to expand again. You, I'm gonna tell you, that left an imprint on this boy's mind. And it's helped me to believe that the revival that God wants to give is not just for my dad's generation and not just for my generation and not my son's generation, but for all generations to come. that focuses on young men in the future. I bought into youth camps. I bought into youth rallies. Come on now, hallelujah. Some of you adults that stay at home for youth rally, you need to pack your bags up and get to church so the next generation knows how to worship. The next generation knows how to praise God. Can I just go ahead and take another step? Hallelujah. Brethren, I'm one of you, so I thank God for you. But brethren, it's a shame that we can get more ladies to get involved in children's ministry than we can men to get involved. Hallelujah. We need some daddies that'll show up. We need some daddies that'll show up and say, I'm gonna help my babies know how to have truth. I'm gonna help them to know how to live for God. I'm gonna be there for them.
I say I'm off track, but I don't think I am. Amen. Not my notes, but I'm feeling what I'm saying right now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All over, all over Holy Ghost Radio, everybody, listen. Listen, we've got to have everybody on deck. We need everybody involved. It doesn't matter. You may not be able to do everything everybody else does, but you've got a place. You've got a place. You've got a place. Hallelujah. You might not be able to teach a Sunday school class, but you can drive a school bus. Oh, hallelujah. I bought in. Come on, I bought in the kingdom's kids. I bought in whatever, whatever it takes. I want the next generation to know God, to know him in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Somebody shout amen. You see, here's a situation that Hezekiah found himself in. And that is that when he showed the things of the house of God he ought not to have shown. And the prophet of God came to him, prophesied, and said, because you have done this, then there is going to be war. But it won't be in your time. It'll be in your son's time. And Hezekiah, after all that God had done for him, had the audacity to say, as long as there's peace in my time, then, then let the next generation make it the best way they can. God forbid that among us there's an attitude that says, I did my part. I played my role. I did my job. Now it's somebody else's time to step up to the plate. Come on, Grandma, we still need your prayers. Grandpa, we still need your support. Come on, Daddy and Mama, we still... Don't get the attitude. Don't get the attitude the next generation can fight like I fought. We need to pass on to them some victory. Pass on to them some secrets to how to fight the good fight of faith. And because David, or because Hezekiah did what he did, his son that was born in those years, when he came to the throne, he opened the door to the greatest measure of idolatry in Israel that they had ever experienced. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Amen. Somewhere, somewhere, what I feel tonight in the Holy Ghost is, brethren, we've got to, we, we've got, we have got to do everything we can where that there's nothing left to do but die. Amen. In other words, we need to pour ourselves in to the next generation. Pour ourselves in to the next group of young preachers. Come on now, let me preach, hallelujah. I'm not gonna preach that much longer, but I feel some things in the Holy Ghost. I've had young men come to me this year across this country. I'm not gonna name the places, but I've had them come and say, Brother Bass, we're so weary with preaching that does nothing more than just affect issues. We're so hungry for revival. We're hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost. And I've tried to counsel them. Brethren, hear me tonight. Look around you. I said, look around you. Somebody is going to influence those boys. Somebody. Praise the Lord. And if you hear that Brother Bass is preaching somewhere, that you might have a question in your mind about the current leader.
leadership. I want you to think about this. I may not be there for the current leadership. I might be there for another reason because I'm finding out that under current leadership where there's a lack of leadership and revival and true holiness, there's young men that's got a hunger. They're seeing some things going on that there's something in their spirit that cries for more. So judge me if you want and throw me under the bus if you want. I'm gonna do everything I can to help affect and move and challenge and raise up another generation that loves this truth. Amen, amen. David said, to all the congregation. He said, Solomon, my son, whom God alone has chosen is yet young and tender. The work is great. The palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Don't ever forget, this is not for us, it's for God. What we're doing here tonight, whatever the WPF is doing, whatever the ALJC, whatever other, any other church group is doing, whether they be independents or whoever they are, whatever we're doing, we're not doing it for ourselves. This is God's work. This is God's kingdom. This is God's church bought with his blood. The price was paid on Calvary. He said, I prepare with all my might for the house of my God the things the gold for things to be made of gold, the silver for things of silver, the brass for things of brass, the iron. And there's a lot of preaching in that right there. And I'm not gonna get into tonight because if I do, we're gonna be here for a while. Wood for things of wood, honic stones, stones to be set, glistering stones, divers. I will just point this out. When you study every one of those items and all the types of material, every one of them represent a doctrine of the apostolic church. Gold, deity, the oneness of God, silver, redemption, baptism in Jesus' name, brass, judgment. God has judged some things to be unacceptable to him. Well, hallelujah. He said, moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, even 3,000 talents of silver and of gold. And he went on and named all this. And then he asked a question, who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? David had a vision. David desired to build the house, but the Lord wouldn't let him do it. He had, the, he, had, he had the dream, he had the vision, he had the burden for it, but he wasn't able to build the house. But he didn't back up and say, okay, if I can't build it, then I'll let them do the best they can. But whenever he found out he couldn't build the house, he went to the house of the Lord and said, okay, God, uh, you, you blessed me. You helped me be the king. You blessed me in many ways. Thank you for letting me be what I've been in your kingdom. So now what I'm asking you to do is let me help the one that is going to build the house. Let me provide. Let me give sustenance. Let me give provision. Let me do whatever I can to help that one. Come on, brother. It might still be smoke even if it's not coming out your stack. Hallelujah. It might still be the work of the kingdom even though you may not be the one that thought of it. And so it becomes evident, and I'm coming to a close. It becomes evident 
that there were three things that David left Solomon. Number one, he left him the plans as to how to build the house. Number one. Amen. Solomon didn't build it to his own specifications. He did what his father had instructed him to do. He not only did that, but he also provided provisions with which to build it. The gold, the silver, the brass, the iron, and all these other things. He said, you can add to that. But when he said you can add to it, what he was really saying to Solomon was, you can add, but whatever you add has got to be in keeping with what I've already laid out. But the third thing that he left him was friends to help him build the house. Hallelujah. Amen. First Kings 5 and 1. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father, for Hiram was ever a lover of David. Amen. So it was that when Solomon began to build the house of the Lord, that David's friends that he left behind stepped in to help Solomon build the house. Praise the Lord. My dear brother, hear me tonight. I appeal to you tonight in this house and preach the truth. Stand on righteousness. Stand for holiness. Believe in what you are preaching. Prepare the next generation to take on the task of building this great church. But I want to tell you, my brother, equally as important as standing for truth is you developing fellowship and friendships that your sons and daughters will draw from the rich resources of their wisdom and their under... Oh, hallelujah. Don't get so isolated that you develop the mentality I'm the only one that's right. Elijah had that mentality. He said, I'm the only one left. And God said, you don't even know what you're talking about. I've got 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal, nor have they kissed his image. You can get so isolated. Amen. That nobody, nobody wants to be around you. Nobody cares. Amen. Come on now, let me preach. Don't be of such an attitude that nobody wants to be around you. Don't you cut everybody off in your fellowship so that your children, be they biological or be they spiritual children, that nobody, none of them have anybody to turn to when you're gone. They need friends. They need fellowship. Hallelujah. Your children need to hear somebody say, I loved your daddy. Come on now. Your, your spiritual children need to hear somebody. They need to hear somebody say, I loved your pastor. I loved your pastor. And I just want you to know if I can help you, if I can be of assistance to you, I'm here. I loved your daddy. I loved your pastor. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you're gonna hear me tonight, fellowship don't start with a card. Friendships don't, de don't develop because of a card, amen. It's developed because you find somebody that you can pray with, find somebody that you can communicate with, find somebody that you, you somehow you can work with them in the kingdom of God. 
I want to live. So there's nothing left for me to do but die. Amen. I want to live. And the only thing I'm concerned about is that my babies, my children, and my grandchildren, that I leave a legacy of truth to them. I leave a legacy of holiness. I leave a legacy of righteousness. I leave a legacy of revival. I leave a legacy of faith. I leave a legacy of apostolic doctrine. Hallelujah. I want it to be such, oh, praise the Lord, that if I leave out of here tonight, that I could say as Apostle Paul said, who was able to fulfill this very statement. He said, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Let's stand, I'm quitting. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to live. And I think if there's any part of this message tonight that I feel the burden in, if there's any part of this that I feel challenged by, because I believe this is a one God conference. This is a one God, Jesus name, Holy Ghost filled, apostolic conference. It's not the doctrine I'm concerned about. Amen, but what I'm concerned about is a brother sitting over here because he don't want to be close to a brother that's sitting over there. That's what I'm bothered about. Come on, brother. I'm concerned. I said, I'm concerned that your children know more about the ministry on the negative side than they do the positive side. Hallelujah. When we were raising our children, I'm not boasting tonight, I'm just telling you reality. When we were raising our children, we didn't talk about the ministry around the dinner table. We didn't talk about the ministry driving down the road. For that matter, we didn't even talk about saints around the table. Our children thought everybody in the church was angels until some of them proved personally to them that they were not. They didn't hear it from us. Come on, hallelujah. Don't pollute your children with all the problems of the church. Don't pollute your babies with all the things that affect you negatively. No, hallelujah. Don't pollute your children. You don't know what preacher it'll be that they might wind up sitting under one day. That you may have polluted their mind and they're sitting there struggling, trying to get past all the things that you said about that preacher. Come on, you don't know who's gonna save your baby one day. You don't know who's gonna save your children one day. Hallelujah. I appeal to you, brother. Don't be an outsider. Amen, come on, mix and mingle. Find you some friends. Develop you some relationship. They don't have to see eye to eye on everything, every single thing you, you think is right. Oh, praise the Lord. Don't get quiet on me now. It's a fact. They don't have to see eye to eye on that mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Those two cherubim, which represent the ministry. Whenever they were over that Ark of the Covenant, their eyes were on the mercy seat. Their eyes were not looking at one another. They didn't see eye to eye. They looked at the mercy seat. And that's how you and I have got to maintain our relationship with one another. Keep your eye on the mercy seat. Keep your eye on the mercy seat. Oh, 
Hallelujah. We need each other. Brethren, it's no time to fight among ourselves. It's no time to be a war among ourselves. We've got a fight to fight out here. We've got a war in the world. We've got a war of compromise. We've got a war of sin. We've got a war of worldliness. We sure don't need a war among ourselves. Come on, brother. Find you some friends. Develop some friends. Leave the next generation a legacy of truth. And I'm going to say this, I'm done. But I'm not just preaching tonight to my generation. Amen. I'm not just preaching to my generation. I'm preaching to young men here tonight that are in their 40s, their 30s, and their 40s. Amen. After you get after you pass the 60 mark, you can start calling those young men. Amen. But I'm preaching to middle-aged men. Amen. Don't. You hear me? Don't. I've told my son. I've told my son-in-laws. I'm not begrudging you. You develop friendships. I developed friendships when I was your age. You find you some good godly men. Find you some good godly preachers. I'm not going to be out here running interference for you. You're going to have to get out here and develop some men that love truth. That love righteousness. That won't revive. Get out there and find you somebody. Because all of you listen to me. Your boys are going to grow up. Your daughters are going to grow up. And there'll be a day that they're going to be building this building. And you better hope that you've left them some friends that says, I loved your daddy. I loved your daddy. I loved your daddy. I loved your pastor. And so I want you to know I'm here for you. I know you're struggling with some things right now, but I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here. I'm here to support you. I'm here to back you up. I don't know even what to do right now just except to say it might be a good idea that we just kind of work around among us and get a hold of a brother and say to that brother, be my friend. Amen. Be my friend. Be my fellow soldier. Be my fellow laborer. Be somebody I can depend on. Be somebody I can count on. Come on, we got to get the next generation ready. And the way we're going to do it is give them truth. Give them an arsenal of truth. Hallelujah. Get them armed and ready. Come on. All over the house. All of you preachers' wives. All of you saints. Come on. We need to step out here tonight. If you will, just step out the aisles. Find you a brother or sister. Let's pray for a few moments. Let's get a spirit that says... I want to live in such a way. I want to preach in such a way. I want to live so that I have nothing left to do but die. I don't want to leave anything undone. I don't want it to be said, I left the next generation helpless and hopeless. Come on, find you a sister to pray with. Come on, preacher's wife. Find another preacher's wife to pray with. Come on, preacher, find you a preacher to pray with tonight.